I'm Marianne Kolbasek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Daniel Bardenstein, a technology strategy lead at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Daniel is also a fellow at the Aspen Tech Policy Hub, which is a technology policy incubator organization. Daniel will be speaking to me about potential ways to make smart devices, especially connected medical devices, more secure. Daniel, what kinds of smart devices, including medical devices and their potential cybersecurity risks are most concerning to you and why? So when I think about medical devices, I think there are a number of, of very concerning risks, but I think some of the, the most concerning among them are how hospitals and other health care delivery organizations handle the problem of legacy devices or end-of-life devices. So uh, devices that still provide value to, to patients or, or can be used to help patients in a clinical context that may no longer have support by the their vendor or manufacturer uh, or are very difficult or expensive to replace. And so there can be devices that have literally thousands of known vulnerabilities that are just, it's hard for these healthcare organizations to easily secure them or replace them for various financial or safety reasons. There, there are many others, but I think that that's one of the, the largest ones. Another one concern around medical device cybersecurity that I had bumped into a bit in my research is a general inconsistency across how medical devices are secured across vendors, especially when it comes to smaller or less mature medical device manufacturers and, and the risk that that puts onto, again, hospitals and at the end of the day, patients when they end up getting connected to these medical devices. Daniel, last year, President Biden signed an executive order calling for technology vendors that sell to the government to provide a software bill of materials or SBOMs for the components contained in their products in order to better manage and mitigate security vulnerabilities when they're discovered. Also in 2018, the Food and Drug Administration issued proposed draft cybersecurity guidance for the pre-market of medical devices that also called on manufacturers to make available a bill of materials that lists components in their products that could also be susceptible to vulnerabilities. That guidance has not been finalized and the FDA was expected to be issuing revised version of that draft guidance, but it hasn't yet. In any case, FDA guidance in general is generally considered voluntary and non-binding. With all that said, I understand that you're proposing that the FDA take action to help in the discovery and management of vulnerabilities in medical devices. What are you proposing? Here's well, I'll have to quickly caveat that you know this research I did during my time with Aspen was separate and before my time at, at CISA. So CISA also has rules in this space. So this is, uh, I'm just speaking here on my, my own capacity as an individual researcher. So a couple good questions there, and I'll, I'll hit on some of those points. So I think uh, the FDA has been very forward leaning really on all things cybersecurity, uh, especially in the, the broader healthcare sector. And especially when it comes to SBOMs or CBOMs, as you pointed out, as the larger security community is becoming increasingly concerned with and invested in the supply chain, right? So understanding what are all of the components that go into these medical devices when they're presented to the FDA or when they are purchased by a hospital or other healthcare delivery organization. So I think that on the SBOM point, I didn't actually present for Aspen uh, one of the ideas that I had around how FDA might be able to operationalize SBOMs, because I think SBOMs are a great way to get visibility into medical device supply chains, but uh, it's not a silver bullet in and of itself. There's more that needs to be done with the information that SBOMs provide to help 
identify vulnerabilities or mitigate risks in advance for medical devices. The two proposals I had narrowed in on for my research was around steps the FDA could take to achieve two things. The first is increase consistency and kind of have a a minimum baseline of cybersecurity standards across medical devices. And part of that was in developing a uh, what I called a, a common cyber baseline for medical devices, that in order for a medical device to be approved by the FDA, it would have to, at the very minimum, have certain common sense cybersecurity protections. The idea of this baseline is that it's not an exhaustive list. And obviously, there are many different types of medical devices with many different considerations. But anything that has re- common software in it, when we think about passwords, right, regardless of what type of medical device we're talking about or how sensitive it is, make sure that it, the passwords are strong in it. So these, these very uncontroversial things that should be very clearly listed in terms of minimum requirements for medical devices. And interestingly enough, I spoke with a lot of medical device manufacturers when doing this research. You would think that many manufacturers might you know, push against sort of any additional requirements or harder requirements than what FDA currently has out. But many of them shared with me that they actually would appreciate that because there's a bit of ambiguity in uh, what is absolutely necessary and mandatory from what FDA expects when they submit approval packages for medical devices. So uh, having at least a minimum list of clear cybersecurity protections would actually help manufacturers remove some of that ambiguity and know exactly what they need to plan and budget and focus on. And obviously it, it raises the bar for security on the other side for, again, the hospitals and other healthcare organizations and ultimately patients who end up relying on those medical devices. Uh, And the second proposal I had was around um, another problem, medical devices around um, uh, what we call in in cybersecurity, active scanning or basically, or vulnerability scanning. How, for example, the security team in a hospital can understand what medical devices are in their network and whether they're vulnerable to potential cyber attacks. Without going to all the, the details, I essentially propose that medical device manufacturers should include a certain feature in their medical devices that's very kind of broad and can be very flexible based on what the device is that allows a safe way for healthcare security teams to get information from medical devices in order to, again, take these risk-based actions without putting patients' life at risk. As I mentioned, without going into the details, active scanning, traditional practice within cybersecurity if done on medical devices, can easily overwhelm them and potentially disrupt their operations, which again, can risk patient health. So the idea behind this feature, which I call the device query interface, is to allow a safe way to get critical information and health information off of a medical device without risking the patient on the other side of that device. Daniel, what other steps do you think the FDA and manufacturers should take to help improve medical device cybersecurity? You mentioned that many medical device makers seem to be in favor of perhaps minimum standards for cybersecurity in their products. And medical device makers do oppose these proposals or these kinds of proposals. Why? So this was surprising to me. And again, I, I, I can't say I've spoken with every single person at, at every single manufacturer, but but of the ones that I spoke to, I think it, it was helpful and enlightening to me to think about it in terms of, you know, your, your large, more mature manufacturers and smaller startups or, or less mature manufacturers. So of the former group of your more mature manufacturers, a lot of them already do these best practices anyway, because they have mature teams, both product security teams and internal security teams, and they just know what good security looks like and what these expectations are and and make sure to build those into their their medical devices. Not that their devices will be perfectly immune to cyber attacks, for example, but they know what the basics are and they're already doing it. So for these large medical devices that also 
have the greatest market share and they have the most devices out there in the market, this wouldn't really be much of a, a change or an increased lift uh, for them because a lot of these practices, like I mentioned, they're already doing. But I think the, the focus of this is really signaling to especially startups, smaller companies, less mature companies that may not have that cybersecurity expertise. A lot of times these can just be, you know, clinicians or former clinicians that have a really cool idea and want to build some sort of novel medical device that can help save lives or bring new technology to patients, which is a laudable effort and something we should all support. But we need to make sure they're doing that safely and responsibly. And especially for small companies that maybe don't even have a cybersecurity expert on staff or don't know how to interpret uh, FDA's uh, existing cybersecurity guidelines, having something clear and published uh, as a step or a precursor to get FDA approval for one's medical device, I think makes it very clear to especially those smaller, less mature companies, hey, this is an air cybersecurity is an area that you need to invest in early on in order to make sure that the powerful and novel devices that you're creating don't end up adding more risk to the patients that you're trying to save. So Daniel, these proposals, they sound like they would all be very helpful if medical device makers implemented them, you know, moving forward for products that are new or being designed, and then they get into the marketplace, and then those products become legacy products. Any suggestions for how healthcare entities the users' medical devices and the manufacturers themselves can address some of these issues for products that are already in use, you know, these legacy products that are already legacy products. Some of them might be many years old, maybe decades old for that matter, if it's, you know, big expensive equipment. Any suggestions on steps to improve the cybersecurity for the legacy products that are out there today? That's the million dollar question. And having spoken with the healthcare sector coordinating council and various other security experts and personnel within hospitals and, and healthcare organizations, that's the, the problem that everybody is, is struggling with. Obviously, the, the proposals that I put forth mostly address new medical devices. That's why they're, they're focused more on the, what the manufacturers can do. Obviously, the manufacturers have a little less control or a bit less control in terms of devices that are already out there. Where I think is worth investing into further solutions are helping the hospitals or healthcare contexts best secure those devices in a way that they can still be productive and useful for patients without exposing them to additional risk. And obviously, this is once we get into this area in terms of how do we help hospitals and, and other healthcare facilities secure their existing devices, this gets beyond the authorities of the FDA and it gets beyond what many manufacturers can do. And so there are different policy levers or kind of best practices or other ways that we can try to help if it's a matter of education, educating hospitals on how best to kind of secure devices that have known vulnerabilities. A lot of times it comes down to investment. So how can we get, especially for larger healthcare systems or healthcare systems that aren't operating at rates within margins, how can we get them to invest more in their cybersecurity team? Because these problems will continue to worsen. And as we have seen over the last couple of years, the proliferation of cyber attacks in general and ransomware attacks more specifically, especially on the healthcare sector, these legacy devices that are in these hospitals pose an increasing risk to, to patients and the hospitals at large. And so I, I think uh, this is something that's definitely a, a good example of a public-private partnership that should uh, happen, come together to help solve this issue of kind of existing devices that are already out there. Many of them are, like you said, legacy or, or end of life, so there's no longer any manufacturing support. So how can we help hospitals make that decision on how to best secure them? 
when and whether to replace them, or maybe there's some more creative solutions around grant programs, for example, to help hospitals replace some of the very antiquated and very risky, but very expensive devices. Um, so I, I think w- there, we shouldn't uh, put a limit on how creatively we can think about how to solve that problem. Besides medical devices, are there any other smart devices that you think might benefit from the types of proposals that you're making to improve security of these products overall? One hundred percent. And a significant source of the resources and inspiration I drew for these proposals come from issues seen across the larger IoT or, or Internet of Things environments, right? So medical devices being a subset of those can definitely benefit from those. But I think most of the research I did and the, the proposals I put forward uh, also apply to many other types of, of IoT writ large. For example, the, the IoT in industrial contexts, you know, if you want to call it industrial IoT or the IoT uh, control systems or, or lots of different acronyms there, also have, have similar considerations, right? There's some of these uh, IoT devices control really critical operational manufacturing processes from controlling our water systems, power systems, uh, transportation systems. And many of them have some of those same constraints as medical devices where, for example, some of them are, are designed with such limited memory and processing power that, again, they can be easily interrupted if they're not interacted with carefully. Um, so something like the device query interface would very much apply to IoT and other sectors. Um, I think there's also a, a lot more work being done on broader IoT, especially consumer IoT. And so uh, happy to call out here, um, you know, the Cloud Security Alliance has done some really great work on just gen- IoT and in, in, in medical situations in general and, and medical devices around bringing up the idea of how do you recognize the, the different contexts in which a medical device is used? So an MRI machine that's you know, connected to a local uh, network in the emergency room versus in an offsite clinic should be treat- handled differently from a security perspective. But there are also really good models and good public partnership models, like, for example, the, the uh, IOXT Alliance, uh, which has a really interesting way of thinking about how to have a, a similar baseline across I, all IoT devices that they, of best security practices they should all have, as well as custom profiles, uh, because not all IoT devices have similar technological stacks behind the scenes. And so how do you address the, the various security concerns around that? And I think largely what one of the gaps that I, I'd seen that I was trying to address in a certain way from my work was there, there's a lot of the problems that, that plague a lot of internet of things or connected devices across all the sectors are very common. And I would love to see whether it's government or a public private partnership, one concerted effort to address security across as broad a swath of IoT as possible, because a lot of them do operate very similarly, especially up, up, up their supply chains, as opposed to having uh, you know, recreating the wheel over and over again for every kind of subsector of where IoT can be found, because uh, I think that will take uh, significantly longer and will end up in uh, a place we often find ourselves where we have many different rules or regulations or guidance that all kind of imperfectly overlap. And it's hard for users or consumers to, or enterprises that are buying IoT devices to figure out how they should best secure their devices to uh, for their needs or to minimize their risk. So what we'd love to see kind of greater collaboration on a broad swath of securing uh, IoT writ large. Well, thank you, Daniel. I've been speaking to Daniel Bardenstein. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.